Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. All right. Well, one thing about creativity is that sometimes things change last minute. (laughs) And so that's what we're doing. I still want to speak tonight, in keeping with the conference, about being established in community. But I also want to merge that with the fact that it is Mother's Day. I also want to do a few things at once because I do like multitasking. I want to show you uh, a different way to preach. Okay. So the first session I did uh, was about being established in identity. And basically I chose three major identities from the opening passages of almost all of Paul's letters because God is our Father, we are sons because Jesus is Lord we are servants and because Holy Spirit makes us holy we are saints so we are sons servants and saints so that's Chad's way of doing basically a three-point sermon on a topic identity and then you open up what it means to be a son open up what it means to be a servant open up what it means to be a saint so if you maybe you're not a preacher but if well if you're a preacher that's a good way to put a sermon together if not if you're just a studier a student of the scriptures I encouraged you Saturday that's how you can study the scriptures pick a topic and look up all the verses related to that okay that's what we call a topical study so on Saturday the next day I spoke about not being established in identity but about being established in God's word and I spoke to you about how to approach the Bible with some principles in that how to be a good reader of the scriptures and basically that was also a topical study okay I chose five points on that bit of a test for the students in the room a-e-i-o-u when you approach the bible do so with a appreciation e expectation i intention o openness and u understanding you kind of need to understand the rules as to how to go about Uh, reading the Bible and that's the subject of my next book well done class 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 Phil so um, that was that and then we did oh and then the next the next session I did was called being established in Christ okay and in, in that message we looked we read a parable of Jesus and then we stopped and we asked ourselves a question hmm I wonder why that was the Pharisees took a parable personally And we said, why was it that they took the vineyard parable personally? And then to answer that question, we needed to step back and take a big view of the Bible. And when we did that, we saw that the, the image of the vine goes all the way through the scriptures talking about God's people being a vineyard. Remember that? So we, 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 we chose a subject and then we took a bird's eye view of that topic. And then what we do is we narrowed right down when we looked at Jesus saying, I'm the true vine, to look at one word. So when you read the Bible, when you study the Bible, it's good to take a bird's eye view at times, and that really helps your understanding. And then other times you get out your Bible program, you click on a word, and you zoom in and study one word. And basically anything in between just helps you to understand what the Bible's saying. If you weren't here... You need to get that session. It was really helpful because we looked at a scripture where Jesus said, I'm the true vine, you are the branches. And if any branch in me does not bear fruit, I will, or sorry, the Father will cut it off. 
But we looked at that word closely and worked out there are other ways to translate that word. And another way to translate that word is to say to lift up. And in other places in the New Testament, that word is used to say lift up. And so that's why some Bible translations say, any uh, branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, I will, or the Father will lift up, not cut off, which is a very different way to understand it. Not changing the Bible, just an alternate way that that Greek word can be understood. And then you need to ask yourself, what is the best English rendering? That's why we have different versions. Okay? If that sounds a bit controversial to you, you really need to listen to that message as well because it's about being established in Christ. The point there that day is saying, God the Father, once you're in Jesus and joined to him, is a good, good gardener. He's a good, good gardener. It's who he is. And he doesn't come to a vine and see it being fruitless and think, that's it, I'm going to cut it off and throw it away. He comes to the vine, sees all the other branches are fruitful, sees one that isn't, and says, the reason that vine isn't, that branch isn't fruitful is because it's, it's not getting enough sun. So I need to not cut it off, but lift it up and point it to the sun. I'm from wine country, and we know it takes sun to have good grapes. That's what the good, good gardener does. That was the session about being established in Christ, the importance of having a big picture view of the Bible, but at times also narrowing right in because we are good students of the Scripture. Amen? Is that good? Now what I want to do is talk about being established in community. Specifically, I want to look at women in our community in honour of Mother's Day. I want to look at Exodus chapter 1 and 2, and what I'm going to do is something that you can do at home. You read the scripture, then you stop, and you think about it, and you make a point. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the scripture, observe, and make some points as to some of the characters that we see in the story of Moses. Who likes a good story? Well, at night time, this time of the night, back home, if I was at home, I'd be, I'd be sitting on the bed next to my three-year-old daughter, Zoe Joy, and I'd be reading her a story. In fact, I read her two bedtime stories. And recently I went to Big W, Woolies, and I bought her all these old classic storybooks. They were two bucks each. It was awesome. Hardcover, nice pictures, and, you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Hansel and Gretel, okay, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, that's her favourite story. And one of those stories is Beauty and the Beast. And the idea about Beauty and the Beast, of course, is you've got this beast living in a castle who's a bit socially awkward, uh, a bit of an outcast, a bit of a loner, no real purpose in life, and the, the beauty comes along. Her name is Belle, which means beautiful. See, kids in the front row know. Uh, her name is Belle, and she sees in the beast what no other person saw. She saw potential. And she melted his heart. She saw in him a royal prince and brought out the best in that beast. And I want to talk tonight about the women who shaped the life of Israel's greatest ever leader. Before Moses ever had a burning bush experience, parted the Red Sea, stood up to Pharaoh, 
called down the plagues, got the Ten Commandments, encountered God in glory, performed miracles, signs and wonders, led people through the desert for 40 years, became Israel's greatest ever prophet. Before Moses ever did that, time and time again, his life was saved by the bell. Because he was part of a community where women, particularly in that community, saved his backside over and over and over again. Moses would never have been the great leader that he was were he not over and over again saved by the bell. And so I want to look today at Exodus 1 and 2 and look at the women in his life that helped shape the life of Moses as he was saved by the bell. Can we do that? What? Yeah. We've even got a slide. Put the, put the Saved by the Bell slide up so it looks like I know what I'm doing here. Where, where is it? See? See, Saved by the Bell. See how we did that? That's creative, isn't it? Okay, now let's go to the Scriptures. Well, opening up to Exodus 1, you know the story. God's people are in Egypt because of Joseph, okay? They've come, all the brothers came a couple hundred years later. Pharaoh's oppressing God's people. They're in slavery, working them hard, okay? Rah, 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 the Pharaoh's heart has turned against his people. They're a bit worried about a political uprising, about all these Hebrews in the land. And this is what Pharaoh does in verse 11. No, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Phua. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that'll do for now. We don't know which um, pharaoh this was. There's a little bit of debate in history as to where exactly in Egyptian history this fits. What we know is that his name is not mentioned, but these two women are. These two women become heroes in the Hebrew community. He said, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, that's fine, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. It's the first act of feminism and civil disobedience. Okay? There it is. Verse 18. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said, Hang on, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh with a bit of a porcupine and said, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives even arrive. Because <laughs> that's just what it's like, isn't it, ladies? They just slip out, no problem. <laughs> the point is, God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. These women are heroes. And Moses was part of this generation of boys that should have died at the hands of Pharaoh because of a political policy that he told these midwives to obey. Yet these women defied the culture around them and saved little baby Moses right here at the beginning. Moses was saved by the bell by these Hebrew midwives. And their act of courage is an incredible act that sets up the rest of the story. If it was not for them, the book of Exodus would finish right there. And these women are named for all time in eternity. One day you're going to meet them. And unlike Obadiah and Nahum, who you, you know, you've, whose books you've never read, right? You're going to meet these women. You're going to go, I remember your story. You're amazing. You are the bells that saved baby Moses. And one of the things I love about these women the most 
How many of you have heard me say again at this conference, the heart of the issue is an issue of the... Our behaviour, outward behaviour comes from our heart condition. And the reason these women could be so proactive and courage, that's one thing. But the thing I love about them the most is the dealing that they had in their heart before their actions ever came. Think about it. These women were childless. They could not have kids. And some of us here understand the pain of that. Some of us here understand the disappointment of that. And all of us know that when we experience pain in life and when we experience disappointment in life, there is always the possibility and the tendency for that to develop a root of bitterness and resentment within us. That if I can't have something, then stuff the lot of you, I don't want anyone else to have it either. These women overcame that tendency. I can't have kids. But I tell you what, I'm going to do all in my power to make sure that the women around me can. Wow. Today's Mother's Day, and I'm going to be bold enough to speak on behalf of the leadership team of this church and say this. If you do not have kids today, if you can't have kids today, you are no less a woman than every other mum in this church family. And this church family needs you because it takes a village to raise a child. And these childless women were heroes who saved the life of Moses. These women were not maybe biologically related to Moses. I mean, somewhere distantly they were. What do they represent? They represent women in our community who may not even be mums, but who somehow form the soft infrastructure of the community around us. And today, because at the end, I'm going to give you some homework to do, like uh, uh, Catherine just did. I'm going to give you some extend your homework today to not just go and thank mums, but to think of other bells in your life and bells that have contributed to your life. There are women that have contributed to the community around you. The, the community you are involved in is better because of them. And they may not be mums, and today might be a tender day for them, and today might be the great day that you can go to them and say, thank you for being a woman in my community. Yeah. Saved by the bell. Girls, group number one. Number two, let's read uh, chapter two. I'm going to read it for the next 10 verses. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Does the, does the phrase coated it with tar and pitch? Sound familiar at all? Noah? So now you get your electronic Bible out and you click on the words and you click on the word basket and you realise that the word basket is only used twice in the whole Bible. The other time that word basket is used is when it is translated ark. This woman, mum, built Moses an ark. And coated it with tar and pitch. We can talk about that over dinner. She built him an ark 
And she had some history story of her ancestry that reminded her when judgment is coming, it is an ark that will save a remnant. Then she placed the child in the ark and put it in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. This is now the second woman in this story. We've got Moses' mum. Now we've got his sister watching what's going to happen to my little bro. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile, a third woman now in this story. She was bathing and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it, saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Pharaoh's daughter felt sorry for him. What should she have done? Killed him. Her own dad had said, if anyone, any, because the policy changed. When the Hebrew, wife, uh, Hebrew midwives did the, did the wrong thing, okay, kept the babies alive, he made a public policy that all Egyptians could kill a Jewish boy. This is like genocide, ethnic genocide on a massive scale. It's like public policy in the nation. If you're an Egyptian, you see a Hebrew boy, any Semitism roots right there, okay, kill those baby boys if they're Hebrews. Her, the, his own daughter, the royal princess, sees a Hebrew boy and her heart goes out to him. She has compassion on him. Then the sister popped her head out of the reeds and asked Pharaoh's daughter, I've got a great idea. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? That's a yes, go, she answered. The girl went, got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, please take this baby, nurse him for me, and I'll pay you to do it. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child had grown older, not sure what age, but older, she then took him back to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son, like a foster mum or an adopted mum. She was the one that named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Put the slides on, bro. First group of women that saved the life of Moses were the Hebrew midwives. The second woman we see in Moses' life is his mum. And today's Mother's Day, so it's fitting we talk about mum. We don't know this until chapter 6, but in chapter 6, it tells us the name of Moses' mother. Anybody remember? Jochebed. Okay, and this is fascinating. How many of you know all the way through the Bible, a lot of people have names that come from the word Yahweh? Um, Jesus is Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Okay, a lot of names, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they, come, they have Yahweh in the name. Moses' mum's name is Jochebed, Yahweh Kabod, Yahweh glory. His mum's name is the glory of Yahweh. Now that is profound because God's people didn't know God's name was Yahweh until when? Until Moses met him at a burning bush at the age of 80. So how could Moses' mum be called the glory of Yahweh when they didn't even know God's name was Yahweh yet? A hundred years before God said, my name is Yahweh, I am who I am. A hundred years before that approximately, her parents called her 
the glory of Yahweh. That's one possibility. One possibility is her parents were freakishly prophetic. (laughs) The other possibility is this. Maybe Moses renamed his mum posthumously. Maybe Moses, 80 years of age, and when he's in the desert, he's writing down the Torah, he's writing his book. Maybe he looked back on the life of his mum. And whatever her name was, he called her. Maybe he didn't even know her name. Maybe he was so young when he left her, when he was weaned from her and given back to her. Maybe he never knew his mum. So he looked back on her and called her Yahweh, the glory of Yahweh, Jochebed. The glory of Yahweh. Somehow this mum revealed God's glory to Moses. She showed him what God is like. And mum, that is your profoundly high calling. The fact is it's the high calling of every saint to reveal the name and nature of God. But as mums, that is my calling to reveal God's nature to my kids. And one of the ways his birth mother did that is the moment he was born, she looked at him and said, this is a fine child. There's one thing I know about good mums, most all mums, is that they unconditionally love their kids. And what, what a better way to show the glory of who God is, who unconditionally loves his kids. One of the things I love about mums and one of the ways she shows the nature of God is that she was an incredibly courageous woman because she hid Moses at the threat of her own life. It was illegal for her. She knew she hid him for three months, a crying baby, knowing that any day soldiers could come through the door, take him and take her. How many of you are glad for the courage of mums and how that demonstrates the courage of God? And what this woman also demonstrates is incredible wisdom. And this is one of the greatest challenges mums face, and all parents do, but I'm talking to mums. She operated in the wisdom and faced the, the real-life challenge of knowing when it was right to hold on to her son and when it was right to let him go. And this poor mum had to do that twice. In fact, the reality is, as parents, we all know this, and this is one of the things about, I might be a young pastor, I might have young kids, but my church, a good portion of my church are grey heads, older people. And one thing I've learned from them, from pastoring people in their 60s and 70s, is that you never stop being a mum. You never stop being a mum. And one of the constant tests that mums have is knowing when to hold on and when to let go. And Jochebed did that. She did that at three months of age. She just knew, I've just got to let go. I've done what I can for three months. I've held on. But the time has come, Lord. I entrust him to you. I build an ark and I give him into the hands of God. Later on, when she got him back, I've got my son back in my home again, able to nurse him. At some age later, she said, it's time to let him go again. And she had to let him go to Pharaoh's daughter. God has graced you to be a mum, mums. And God has given you the wisdom and the grace to know when it is right to hold on and when it's right to let go. And it's tough, but it's possible. Inspiring woman. The third group of women where Moses was saved by the bell, Hebrew midwives, Moses' mother, the second woman in his life was a big sister. Her name was Miriam. Miriam. She's the one that got the tambourine, you know, the Red Sea and... 
and all that sort of stuff. Okay, She was a big supporter of his ministry, but she saved his life. And one of the things that I love about Miriam, there's a couple of things here. The first is this. She breaks a family pattern, a destructive family pattern. Okay, I have explained this before, but let's go there again. When you, This is in the book of Exodus. In the whole book of Genesis, there's a theme where the older sibling persecutes the younger. Do you remember that? Cain, the older, kills younger brother Abel. Um, Abraham has two boys. Ishmael persecutes Isaac. Isaac has two boys. Esau persecutes Jacob. Jacob has a bunch of boys. The oldest persecute Joseph, okay? The older persecute the younger. Older persecute the younger. Older persecute the younger. That goes all the way through the Bible, which is why when Jesus tells the story, the prodigal son, it's not a new story for them. They understand, yeah, the older brother's always the one that persecutes the youngest. Okay, this is the theme. It's a motif that goes all the way through the scripture. Well, this is a family, almost like a family curse, isn't it? This is a family pattern in the Hebrew people that's developed right back here in Genesis. They're here in Egypt. And the question that Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? Miriam comes along, the older sibling, and says, you're damn right I am. I am my brother's keeper and I'm looking after my little bro. I'm super glad that no matter how back our family histories goes in unhealthy patterns and behaviours, you have the power as a good brother, as a good sister, to break unhealthy family patterns. I had the privilege of having two Christian parents still married today. And my father didn't have that. On my father's side, we have a family history of alcoholism and violence, violence in the home, most of my childhood, my grandfather, he was in prison. I was given all I knew of him was a kindy set that he made me while he was in prison. That's my family background, passed on from one generation to the next until my dad came along, said, "That's it. That's not being repeated anymore. I'm finishing it." And he became, as it were, the big brother in a new line of Mansbridge family. And you can do that too. You can be a big sister that sets the tone and says, yeah, I am my brother's keeper. I know my family's acted like this before in the past, but I can break that chain. I love that about Miriam. Yeah. What a hero. Yeah. And again, we see Moses saved by the bell. I also love this in Miriam. that I don't know how old she was, but she was a prophetic woman. We know that. She's called a prophetess. I think she might be the first prophetess in the Bible. Okay, We know that at an older age. And you know one of the things I love about her prophetic ministry? is that she not only saw a problem, she helped bring a solution. It doesn't take a genius to see problems. You don't actually have to be very prophetic to see problems. We need prophetic giftings to help be part of the solution. So I've noticed, there's nothing more I love in church to have people say, yeah, I noticed this and I've come up with an idea. Do you mind if I give that a go? I think this might work. I thought, Yes, that's exactly what Miriam did. She saw a problem. She observed. She saw Pharaoh's daughter. She says, hello, I have an idea. I have a great idea to solve this issue. That is the sign of a prophetess who can discern what needs to be done. The men of Ichabod, no, not the men of Ichabod, the men of Issachar knew the times and understood what to do. Issachar, Miriam models that right here. Wow. 
Moses, saved by the bell. And there's a third woman in this story that we is a hero in a sense because she helped shape the life of Moses. We don't know her name, but we know her as Pharaoh's daughter. She sees a boy that she really should hate and kill. That's what she's been told. But it says that she has compassion on him. Not part of the family. Not part of her heritage. Not one of hers. Not her responsibility. Yet this woman becomes, in my eyes, a mentor to Moses. Think about it. Moses, if he, even if he'd survived, thanks to the midwives, thanks to his mum, thanks to his sister, if he'd stayed in the Hebrew community, he would have grown up a slave. All he would have known was slave thinking. Now, he might have remembered some of the stories mum and dad told him at night time, like Noah's Ark, okay, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the stories they told. He might have had some of that Hebrew mentality, but he still would have brought up only in the culture, the Hebrew culture of the time, which was at the time a slave class, a slave culture. This woman had compassion on him and elevated him and exposed him to a whole new way of thinking. She was like many of you who teach kids, those of you who are educators, those of you who are mentors, those of you who have the opportunity, male or female, to speak into the lives of another generation. They're not your children, but you can expose them to another way of thinking. You can expose those kids in your classroom to kingdom thinking because they don't have that at home. You, can, you expose them to a realm of education they may not otherwise had. We are better off as a community when women rise up as mentors and say, you know what, I can take kids and show them an experience that they won't get in their home. One of the big pressures on teachers nowadays is to be substitute parents because we've got not that good a parenting happening around the place by and large. Okay. The ideal, of course, is not for teachers to be substitute parents but a compliment and to be able to say, look, I know there's weaknesses in your family. I will have compassion on you as a mentor. What do mentors do? They reveal their heart to people. The Pharaoh's daughter revealed the heart to this child. And then also begin to educate his head to think in a different way. So Moses the Hebrew became Moses the Egyptian, schooled in all the ways of Egypt. He entered into and got experience in a whole new realm of life he never would have had were it not for Pharaoh's daughter. Wow. How many of you are grateful for female mentors in your life? like this woman, that have exposed a whole new world for you that if it was just up to your natural mum, you would never have seen. Last woman in his life. Pay attention to this one. You okay? You okay? Okay. What what verse are we up to? 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Israel's greatest leader. We can laugh about that and maybe if my focus were on men today, I might make a bigger deal of that because our prison system is full of men that can't control their anger who have incredible women in their life but have no males in their life. And what we see is that Moses, taken away from his natural father, brought into the 
care of a woman actually was not was still hated by the men in that house. And I wonder whether that was partly responsible, everyone's responsible for their own actions, but partly contributory to him not being able to contain his anger. Anyway, that's another thing for another day. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, how come you're hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who may you rule and judge over us? Are you thinking about killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? <gasps> Moses was afraid and thought, oh my goodness, what I did must have become made known. Surveillance camera. It's all over Instagram. <laughs> when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. Now, we don't exactly know which Pharaoh this is. It might be his stepdad or it might be his older stepbrother. Either way, as I said, the men in that family never liked Moses. And you know this because the mo- they were waiting for him to put one foot out of line. Who cares? Honestly, who cares if you kill a, kill a just a commoner? He's a prince. Oh, yeah, I care because I hate that Hebrew scumbag. Looking for a moment. To kill him. So Moses grew up in an environment where the men did not think highly of him. He also needs a male mentor, which is coming, maybe another day. When verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters. Come on, say seven daughters. Here's some more bells. Okay, here we go. Seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs, the water of their father's flock. But some shepherds came along and drove them away. Moses got up, came to their rescue, and then watered the flock for them. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, hang on, how come you've returned so early today? You know what that means, don't you? Moses did the work of seven women quicker than what they could. (laughs) Now, hang on, girls, hang on. Hang on, hang on, I'm not having a go. Moses did not grow up a labourer. He probably hadn't done a, a, a physical day's work in his life. And unless I'm reading too much into the story, I know that there is one thing that will motivate a man to work hard in the, in the, in the heat of the day. There's one thing that will motivate a man to take off his shirt and work hard like he's never worked before, flex his muscles and demonstrate how fast he can be, how strong he could be. I'm the man. I think he spied out one of those seven girls and they got in and he's like, I'm, I'm out to impress these chicks here. Let's see if my theory's right. They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Okay, where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him out there? Come on, invite him into the house and have something to eat. Finally, a man that welcomes Moses into his home. Talk for another day. That's for Father's Day. (laughs) Moses agreed to stay with the man who then gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son. Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. He was an alien in a foreign land. After all, he was a Hebrew who had been raised an Egyptian, who couldn't go back to his Hebrew community, couldn't go back to his Egyptian community. He was a no man. He had no land. He had no people. He had no home. He had no purpose. He had no job. 
He had no prospects. He had no future. He had no idea. Sounds like a bunch of, a bunch of us men, doesn't it? He had no idea. <laughs> and yet suddenly he meets this woman. And Moses, once more, is saved by the bell, who gives him a place to call home, who gives him a sense of purpose, gives him a reason to put his roots down, gives him a reason to say, you know, for the next 40 years, this is my home, because if you're here, babe, then this is my home now. Zipporah, Moses' wife, saved from the bell, by the bell. The bell turned a beast. And with her assistance, he became a mighty prince. And it was 40 years later in Midian, a Hebrew-born, Egyptian-trained Midianite met God at a burning bush. And from that day, he became Israel's greatest leader of all time. So by the end of his life, he could say, listen, the ultimate great leader is coming in the future and he's going to be very much like me. God will send you another prophet like me one day in the future. You better listen to him. Same, same, but different. Ultimately, one of the things that Moses does is he sets an example to Israel of what Jesus would be like. That's why there's so many parallels in the story. Killing of the babies. Killing of the babies. All right, all that sort of stuff. It's a picture. Moses is a picture of Jesus. But he never would have been the man he was if he did not have these women in his life. Over and over and over again, Moses was saved by the bell. And in our life, we have these women. It's great to honour mums today, but I'm going to give you some homework. Because somewhere in your life, you've got a midwife. Now, maybe not specifically. I mean, I don't know the nurse that helped my parents give me that. That's not the point. But there is a woman in your community that's just always there. And you may never really connected with her, but somehow growing up, she was there. She contributed to your life. Maybe she's a hero that has come, that has kept a pure heart, even though you've known she's suffered a lot. And I wonder if today God will drop a name in your heart that you could say, I just want to thank you for being a part of my broader family. Most of us hopefully already have contacted our biological mums today. And if you haven't, and maybe it's hard for you because you don't, some of us don't have the best mums. I do, when I say us, I mean that generally, but some of us don't have the best mums. But you know, when the scripture says, honour your father and mother, the word there for honour is the word weight. It's the same word for glory, kabod. It's like saying, I can give weight to the things that are good and I can give weight to the things that were bad. And I can do both of those things. But no matter what the good is or what the bad is, there is always some good that I can see God in my mum. We will all face the parental paradox sometime in life. Moses' sons did this. And this isn't Father's Day, but let's just throw in a quick Father's Day illustration. Moses' no, not Moses, Noah. He, he was the greatest dad in the world. Saved the family, heard God stood up to everyone that thought he was an idiot, built an ark, gathered the animals, everything happened like he said. Your dad is a freaking hero who hears God. Dad's the best. And then a year or so later, you see a side of dad that 
challenges you. Your dad's naked, drunk, lying in his tent. And actually, dad's not as perfect or as good as I thought he was. We all face that test when we see that our parents aren't perfect. We face the test on whether we're going to expose their nakedness and focus on that or whether we're going to acknowledge it but respect them anyway. Whether your mum's perfect or not, you can look at her somewhere and say, I see Jochebed on her. I see the glory of God. Somehow she demonstrates God and mum, this is how you showed me what God is like. Even if it's just one thing, I promise you, you can do it. Maybe you've got a sister in your life that you need to thank today. How many of you have been saved by your sister? It might be a, maybe not a blood sister, but maybe you've got a sister in your life that has been there for you, that's kept an eye on you, like Miriam did with Moses, has given you solutions, has come up with, popped her head out of the reeds and said, I have an idea. Maybe you should thank a sister today. Maybe some of you have a mentor in your life. It might be an old high school teacher. It might be a Sunday school teacher, big kids, that volunteered for years. And you're in your 20s now, and you're realising it actually takes work to run a church. It actually takes work to volunteer. And that means that that Sunday school teacher that I had for years, they gave up their time for me all the time. I thank you for the female mentors in my life. Or maybe today, the last one, you've got a wife. You've got a Zipporah and you want to say, babe, thanks for turning this beast into a prince. <laughs> thanks for helping me put my roots down to finding some kind of purpose and to building a family. Put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would you know, we want to be practical today. You minister to our head, you minister to our heart, and yet you minister to our hands. Today, I thank you that I've learned something. Today, I thank you that somehow you've touched my heart in an area tonight. But Lord, I offer you my hands, and I say, I want to do something with this word. Who do you want me to contact today? What beautiful bell in my life do you want me to make a deal of? I commit myself to doing that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Okay? You do business with God, make contact with those people, okay?